years to uh, always have something. I, I don't really like to rehash a lot of things, but have something fresh when it comes to the Christmas story. And there's so many nuggets in the Christmas story. I hope you take the time to not just fly through it, but that you really stop and think about what is, what is involved there. And this morning, I entitled our lesson, The Joy of Christmas. And uh, that, is, that is what we all need, is we need the joy of the Lord. And uh, our series on uh, Sunday evenings, I hope you'll make it tonight, uh, is on, uh, it's a choice to rejoice. I love the book of Philippians. It's a, if you're ever feeling down, just read the book of Philippians. And while you're reading it, remember, Paul's writing from a prison. And he just keeps talking about the joy that he has and the joy of the Lord. And if Paul can have joy while he's in prison, we can have joy being out of prison, right? Anybody in prison this morning? I don't think so. We're all sitting here in church, okay? So this morning, take your Bibles, and we'll get to the Scripture passage here in just a minute. But I love that little word, joy. And I hope it's something that means a lot to you. There's a lot of uh, favorite Christmas carols that we sing. Uh, we just sang, Joy to the World. The Lord has come. There's the song, O Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant. Uh, there's another Christmas carol we sing, Shepherds, Why This Jubilee, Why Your Joyous Strains Prolong. Uh, we sing the song, Good Christian Men Rejoice, with heart and soul and voice. And then we also sing, Joyful All Ye Nations Rise, Join the Triumph of the Skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. But here's the question this morning. Although we sing about it, I wonder this morning how many of us really are joyful today. You know, I get around a lot of Christians and there's not a smile on their face. And I know that we have burdens to bear. We have things that we carry with us. But listen, every one of us need to have a joyful spirit. And it's hard not to feel joy when you come to church and we start to sing about these songs. But whether we're singing about them or not, uh, listen, folks, we need to be joyful people. Part of the problem, I think, a lot of times is we have the wrong idea about what joy is. Now, Christmas time is a time that we think about joy, but a lot of times what we do, and you see if this is not true, we tend to connect uh, joy with happiness, and we think that our joy depends on our circumstances. And a lot of times, boy, you find yourselves in some various circumstances that it's hard to be joyful. And from the Christmas story this morning, I wanted to kind of launch from that thought and talk about joy and where does joy come from. And look what it says here in Luke chapter number two, beginning in verse number eight. The Bible says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of what kind of joy? Great joy, which shall be to how many people? Now here's the key verse, look at verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Which is Christ the Lord. Years ago, Dean Willimon observed this thought, Christmas is a delightful disruption of the way things normally go. I, I like that thought. 
You know, it, it just seems like, you know, for some people, they just go right on through Christmas like they go right on through the rest of their lives. But I think this time of year is a delightful disruption. And we find that in this passage this morning that I think it catches the spirit of Luke 2, this delightful disruption. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, listen, here's what the thought that I had. At one moment in the passage, the, the shepherds are tending their sheep in the middle of the night. And then all of a sudden, they're scared out of their wits by an angelic choir. (laughs) You know, it's like, what in the world is going on? And you think about how that at first it was startling to them, but then the news was that this would be good tidings of great joy. And the key to this whole passage, and I think the key to us having and keeping the joy alive in our hearts is verse number 11 again. Look at it. Unto you is born, this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See, if you're looking for Christmas joy, then I think we can find it in this verse. Let me show you this morning some thoughts about it. Look at number one there. The Bible gives us in this verse the prophecy of His coming. Look at the verse again, verse number 11. The Bible says, born this day in the city of where? City of David. Now, a lot of times we associate David with Bethlehem, do we not? But when when you see this, the city of David's birthplace was the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is called the city of David because David grew up there alongside of his father. His father's name was Jesse. Remember, he was one of of eight brothers. He was was the youngest of them. And David was a young man that being uh, the youngest of all of his brothers, he was the one the Bible identifies that was tending the sheep in the fields outside of the village, just as we read in the Christmas story that the shepherds were doing the night the angel appeared to them. And and the Bible shows us here that the Lord had spoken in the Old Testament through the prophet Micah about how that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Look what it says in Micah 5.2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, and I like this phrase, from everlasting. Shows there the eternality of our God. This was always God's plan that this would be the part of the prophecy of the coming of the Lord. You see, this prophecy was given by the Lord some 700 years before this when Bethlehem was just a tiny, insequential little village. I mean, a lot of people would have thought, Bethlehem? You know, I mean, they, they, no one would have ever named that maybe for one of the top vacation spots per se in Israel. But yet this is what God chose for the coming of His Son. And we see this in the prophecy of the Word of God. When Jesus was born, one thing is true, that all the Jews, if they knew anything about the scriptures, the prophecy, what had been foretold, they knew that the Messiah would be born there. Well, how do we know that? Well, look in the the passage there in Matthew's gospel record in Matthew 2, 2. Look at the Bible says here, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we are come to worship him. Again, God had told them 700 years before exactly where he would be born. He prophesied. It was foretold 
and it, it was no secret. It should be no secret to any of them. And when those shepherds heard the news that, that evening, and they, they heard the good tidings of great joy that Christ would come, here's what their response was. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but I believe this is what their response was. Hey, let's go and, and head straight to Bethlehem right now. And that's what they did. They took off. They, they followed uh, the instructions that was given to them. Now, a lot of times people want to sit around and, and they want to talk about the truth, but they never act on it. I see a lot of people do that. They, you, know, they, you know, some people would have sat around after hearing the good news of, of great tidings that they received. They would have sat around and thought, now, let's, let's think about this for a while. You know, what do you think this really means? You know, and, and what happens is, is that when God speaks to us, even today during the service this morning, if there's something God uses in the message this morning that God has for us here on this day, then what you and I need to do is to respond, to act on the news that we hear. That's why we give an invitation at church. It's because it's a time that as God by His Holy Spirit deals with us about something, that we act upon it. Uh, my pastor used to always say, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, because listen, if you're not obeying the impulses of the Holy Spirit, what are you doing? You're suppressing them, you're rejecting them, you're pushing. And who are you pushing off? You're pushing off God. And this was something that God gave to these shepherds. And you know, a lot of times people want to sit around and think about things. But the shepherds, amazingly, the theologians knew all about the coming of the Messiah. But these shepherds, they were, they were just the opposite. They knew very little about what was going to go on. But isn't it interesting? They believed it and they immediately acted on it. And, you know, sometimes I, I think uh, about certain people. I remember in my own life after I got saved and I'd only been saved a short amount of time and my pastor came to me and uh, I, I, I still wonder that he came to me and asked me if I would teach a Sunday school class in my church. And I looked at him and started laughing. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I've, just, I've only been saved for a short amount of time. I said, There's very, I know very little bit about the Bible. And I think a lot of times we think, you know, we, we have to have all this knowledge. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for a heart of obedience. God says, listen, if I speak to you, if I give you some truth, what I want you to do is obey it, to act upon it. Here's these shepherds, they knew very little a bit about it, but they acted upon it immediately. And Jesus, as the scriptures foretold, he was born in Bethlehem. And the birth of Christ, you know what it was, was it was the fulfillment of a prophecy that was made 700 years earlier. And it should remind every one of us, and I put this in your notes, I want you to look at it. Knowledge alone is never enough to save us. It's not about what we know, it's what we do with what we know that makes the difference. Do you understand what that phrase is saying there? I've never, I've never listened to it. I've heard for years that there's a message, and I like the thought, that there's 18 inches between your head and your heart. 18 inches is keeping many people away from being saved. Because in the mind, they're starting to think, well, I've done this and this, or I, I, there's no way that God could save me. And so a lot of times what happens is our mind gets in the way of our hearts. And, and listen, folks, what we need to understand this morning is God's word, the prophecy of God's word. When you see verse number 11, the Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of 
David, it was a part of the prophecy of his coming. But not only do we see the prophecy, but look at number two. What was the point of his coming? Why did Jesus come? The reality of his coming, the angel, look at verse 11 again, said, unto you is, here's the key, born this day. That's the reality is the angel said this day, born this day. And that's the three words that I want to focus on because that's the whole point is what happened in Bethlehem was honestly nothing more than the birth of a baby named Jesus. Folks, listen, I even had a man ask me, it's kind of interesting because as I was preparing for this Sunday school lesson, he asked me this very same thing on Wednesday night. He said, he said Pastor, he said, when it came to the birth of Christ, he said, you know, uh, we talk about the immaculate conception that, he, that Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. He said, do you think that she gave birth that she went through what a woman today goes through when it comes to childbearing. And I said, honestly, I, I said, I have no biblical, uh, nothing to substantiate that it was anything other than a normal childbirth. Uh, I said, but, but you think about this, what there was no miracles associated with the physical birth of Christ. I don't find anything in the scriptures, but look, the real miracle took place nine months before that, when she conceived of the Holy Ghost. Remember Mary's whole uh, conversation with the angel was, how can this be? I I've, never, I've never been with a man. Uh, in other words, this is impossible. It goes against the laws of nature. Listen, but it's God's divine law. This is what God chose. And the whole point was, is that he came, he was born of a virgin. And although Luke gives no details, we can assume that this delivery was normal in every way. But the birth of Christ, folks, is a true event that took place in a normal way, but it took place in a very abnormal situation. The Bible says again, this day, that means it really happened. It really happened. Uh, you know, there's still people today that are skeptical about the birth of Christ. You know, did it really happen? But God's word says that it happened. Jesus really was born and it, look, it points to an event, something that really happened. This isn't some legend. It's not some myth. It's not something that we've made up, some fairy tale. Everything about the story is true. And a lot of times we read the Bible and, and we almost make it sound like it's kind of some kind of story that somebody wrote. I, I hear a lot of people say to me many times, well, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, I tell them, show them a verse from the Bible and they'll say, well, that's what you believe. And I hear that a lot of times. Or they, they'll say, well, the, the Bible was a book written by man. In other words, to discredit that it's God's word. Now, certainly God used over 40 different writers, but the author of the scriptures is the Holy Spirit of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This isn't man's book, it's God's book. And what we need to understand is every detail, every bit of the story of the birth of Christ is, is something that we can trust. It is true. It is not something that is made up. And the central truth that is there is that there was a baby born in Bethlehem, and that baby that was born was the Son of God. And that's what people need to understand, is there was never a baby before or after that was like the Son of God, this baby that God gave to Mary that she could raise for the Lord. And so we find here the point of his coming is that he was born 
into this world. It was a reality. Jesus really was born of a virgin. You know, that's one of the, the, the key elements when it comes to our, our faith, our Christian beliefs, is the virgin birth of Christ. I mean, you think about how important it is to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. The implications of that, if Mary was not, then Jesus would have been born, the blood that flowed through his veins would have been the same as the blood that flows through our veins. That he would not have been able to be the atonement for the sins of the world. And so God knew exactly what he was doing, and that was the point of his coming. Look at number three in verse number 11. What's the product of his coming? When Jesus came, what's the result of why he came? Well, look again in verse number 11. The Bible says, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Great verse here. The Bible says in, in verse, number, verse number 11, unto you this day is in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, it's interesting here because if you study languages sometimes, and I like to do that for study purposes, and I always tell people you don't necessarily need to know the biblical languages to understand the Word of God. And a lot of times people think that you do. And so many times I'll make references. Sometimes I might talk about a word meaning something. And all I'm doing is giving a more full understanding that's already there in the Word of God. But here's an interesting thought is when I looked at this phrase, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Look at the statement there. A Savior which is Christ the Lord. When Luke, who's the human writer at this time in this gospel record that bears his name, when Luke wrote this account, he did not use, as he wrote, he did not use any articles to describe who Jesus was. Now, if you understand what an article is, an article would be like the word the. Okay, and I don't know if you've ever gotten into a discussion with people. Uh, a lot of times, people want to use John one, and the Bible says, "In the beginning was was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." You know the verse. Okay, have you ever got into a discussion? Because uh, again, if you look at, uh, um, and I don't want to get too deep off on this because it really gets off on our subject this morning, but there are people who want to take out the word the, and put in. A. Anybody, anybody ever got into that conversation with a few folks? There's, there's a lot of people that use, yeah, there's, there's a couple different versions and that's what they do. Well, listen, you do understand it changes things when instead of it saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, change it to in the beginning was a word. See, it could be any word, right? And so, listen, I know I get hung up on things like this, but I believe that every word of God is important, especially when you study the word of God. I think that every word out of the Bible is so important. And so when Luke was writing here, Luke did not use the definite article. So literally, when you would read it the way Luke wrote it, look at verse number 12, look what it says again, or verse number 11. It says, in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Literally, this is how it would have read. When Luke wrote it, it would have read, Savior, Christ, Lord. Now, every one of those words are very, very, very important. And let me, let me go through this with you. First of all, the word Savior. The word Savior, I think a lot of us have heard this before, but in the Old Testament, it was a word that means 
one who delivers his people. That's what they said. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, right? And so the word Savior is a great word. Now, the second word Luke wrote is the word Christ. Christ is the Greek version, because the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written primarily in the Hebrew language. And so you find here that the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, and the word Messiah means the anointed one. And so then the other word he uses is the word Lord. Now, the word Lord is a word or a term that is used for deity. In other words, God. It's synonymous for the word God. And listen, folks, when you look at that, how it describes Jesus. He was Savior. He was Lord. He was Christ. And folks, I tell you, back 2,000 years ago when he came, before he came, and still today, we desperately need a savior, do we not? Yeah. I mean, this world, this this world needs to be saved, but it doesn't need to be saved by the White House. It doesn't need to be saved from a nuclear strike. It needs to be saved by the Son of God. Jesus came, and Luke describes him very well here. Look at the Bible says in Matthew one twenty one, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It, look at Christ came to be a savior, the savior for everyone who will turn to him. Did you hear what I said this morning? Listen, the the Bible says God is not willing that any would perish. Uh, Listen, anyone that would turn to him, he will save them from their sins. God's already given the gift. He's already given us a savior. And it's important for us to, uh, to know that. And not only did he come to be the savior, but listen, he came to be Lord. The word there means to be ruler. Ruler of what? This entire universe. This is his world. Uh, And we need to understand that is another reason why he came. Today, we understand that he is Lord of heaven, but one day he will return to this earth and he will establish his kingdom on this earth. And so he came to be the savior. He came to be Lord, but he also came to be the Christ. He came to be the one sent from God. Now, folks, what are we thinking about this morning? We're thinking about Christmas. And what is the heart of Christmas? It's that God loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son. That's what God did for us. I I just, honestly, folks, I can't hardly get past that, that God let his son leave. You ever read that parable in the Bible where it talks about the Lord of the vineyard and how he sent uh, his ambassadors, he sent those people, uh, and, and they, they went, and, and all those that were there, they mistreated them, uh, they abused them, and then he said this, I will send my son, and they will reverence him. You know what I'm talking about this morning? And what did they do to his son? Yeah. What a description of what this world, uh, last week I talked about Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. See, I think about how, listen, if God knows everything, did God know how they would would reject his son? Yes. And you know what he did? He sent him anyways. How many of us would do that? How many of us would go ahead and send our only begotten son, the one that we love so very much, knowing the way that he would be treated? But I want you to think about this because as he came See, God loved us, and he didn't send, 
God didn't send a committee. God didn't send someone else. God sent his son. In other words, what he was doing was he was really sending himself. Remember, the Bible says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God sent himself. He sent, uh, and the truth of Christmas is, I love the word, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Jesus did. He provided God with us. And so the product of his coming is that he would be a savior, that he would be Lord, that he would be uh, the Messiah. And then notice, uh, fourthly this morning, what's the purpose of his coming? Well, let's go back for one more central truth. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, I didn't miss this on purpose, but I like to end on this thought. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 11. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, we've looked at all of this verse except for the first three words. What are the first three words? Say it. What are they? For unto you. For unto you. Now, consider, and this is something you should always do as you're reading and studying the Word of God, is always pay attention to who is speaking and pay attention to whom they are speaking to. Now, who's speaking? By know? The angel, right? And to whom is this angel speaking to? What did you say, David? The to the shepherds. Now, think about this, because he's speaking to these shepherds. If you study it out, and I, I spent a little time, I didn't want to spend too long on this, but I think I got the heart of it. If you study it out, you know, still in life, there, there seems to be a, a sort of a, a social status and so on. Uh, now, again, among Christians, I, you know, I believe that we are, all, we are all one in Christ. But in the world, you find that they look down on certain people. You remember how in the Bible, how the Jews looked at the Samaritans? Anybody remember one of the words they used to call them? Dogs, right? And so there's always, there always seems to be a class or a group of people that, that looks down on others, and there always seems to be that group to whom they look down at, right? Well, guess who that group was that everybody looked down at when Jesus was born? Anybody have an idea? Shepherds. Shepherds were, were a group of people at the bottom of the social order of ancient Israel and here's why, because many times they were poor and they were uneducated. Who was a famous shepherd in the Bible? David. Now think about all that David did. Think about all that God did through David. And, and you, th you think about how important it is for us to see here. Listen, here's what Doug Goins said about this matter of shepherds and how they were viewed he said the Judean shepherds were the lowest of the low socially common men, a despised class with a, great, a bad reputation. Shepherds were known as thieves because they were nomadic. And as they moved their sheep across, around the country, sometimes they got confused about what was mine and what was thine. They were all painted with the same brush. They were painted untrustworthy, and dishonest. They were not allowed to give testimony in a Jewish court of law. Their work was made impossible for them to observe the Jewish ceremonial laws and, and temple rituals. They couldn't come in out of the field. Who would watch their sheep if they did? 
And so they, they, they were not able to observe certain Jewish things, and they were considered religiously unclean and unacceptable. Now, when you think about that description that Goins said about shepherds and how low they were on the social uh, status of the day when Jesus was born, and it was the angel that said these words to the shepherds, for unto you. Isn't that amazing to think that God's heavenly angel came to such social outcasts? Think about it, folks. He could have announced this to kings. He could have announced this to the elite of the day. But he chose these lowly shepherds, these outcasts. And so when he's, the angel said, to you is born, what he's really saying is, Christ came for the lowly. He came for lowly shepherds. Listen, that's why Jesus was criticized. He was criticized because he was the friend of publicans and sinners. People struggle with that. The Pharisees had a hard time with that. How can Jesus, if he is who he says he is, how can he be associating himself with such dissidents in life? These people who were outcasts that no one wants anything to do with. Remember how Jesus went out of his way to have a conversation with the woman at the well? Even his own disciples wouldn't have spent time with that woman. But yet Jesus chose to spend time with the woman that had many things going on in her life. And when I think about how Jesus came for those lowly shepherds, you know, you think about those theologians in Jerusalem. They didn't care. They didn't care anything about him. They, listen, they didn't go. They, they knew the news. They had read the prophecies. They, they had been told many times by God in the past. They had, they, had, they had God's word to instruct them, to lead them, to show them the way. They didn't care, but isn't it amazing that even though they didn't care about him, he still came for them too? Jesus came for everyone. I believe the greatest sinner, whoever that may be, if I could call it that, in the world today, Jesus came for that person. And listen, I know this, you're looking at a sinner that Jesus came for. He came for every one of us. And there's a great lesson for us to learn here is that the Lord came, honestly, for the forgotten of the earth. Uh, there's no one, folks, no matter who you meet this week, if they're on the street, if they're in the nicest of a house, if they're wearing rags or they're wearing the nicest of clothes, Jesus came for everyone. You know, the announcement was made for unto you. Rich people oftentimes, and I know this is true, is most rich people have no time for Christ. But you find that many times those that don't have, those that may be poor or may not have many things, they are the ones that welcome Jesus into their hearts. They're the ones that make him an honored guest. And so uh, I want you to notice again, the angel says this morning, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Listen, unto you, Christ came for you. How many of you are saved this morning? Yeah, think about that. He came for you. What a great thought this Christmas time is that he came for me. He came for you. And we need to make sure that we believe that. You know, in, in just a few days, we'll actually celebrate Christmas and we'll have family and friends gather around and maybe maybe you'll, if it's your tradition to gather around a tree, maybe not. Maybe there'll be a time of opening some presents. And as you gather together, maybe there'll be children there. And if your kids are like my kids or like I was when I was younger, 
They're just counting the minutes. They can't wait for Christmas to get here. But Christmas is not about presents. Christmas is about His presence. And we need the Lord in our lives. You see, His coming was something that was prophesied. There was a, there was a, a purpose for His coming. And we need to understand that the point is, is that He really did come. And as we think about this, it's so important to understand that He came for us. And that's why we can sing the song we sang in Sunday school this morning, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And I hope this time of year that if you know Christ as your Savior, that you would share that gift with someone else. And that's, that's, that's the best gift you could ever give to anyone. The greatest decision I ever made in my life and God's given me a wonderful wife. God's given me wonderful opportunities to do certain things. Children that know Christ. But the greatest decision I ever made was to put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who left heaven and came so that I could have a home there. Well, let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the Christ of Christmas. And Lord, I thank you that he came a Savior the Savior, that He is the Lord, He is the Christ. And Lord, I thank You that there was a purpose, and the purpose was that He came. If Lord, if the announcement was made to those lowly shepherds, then certainly that tells me that You came for everyone, that God is not willing that any should perish, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank You again for Your gift that unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in His precious name we pray. Amen.